Does truth exist? Because you have faith, does that make this book true? Does God exist? So when someone says there is no truth, if you apply the claim to itself, what should you say? Is that true? They don't think Christianity is true. They're talked out of it. You know why they're talked out of it? Because they've never been talked into it. Cross-examining skeptical and atheistic views. Welcome to Cross-Examine with Dr. Frank Turek. Can science explain everything? Is science an unstoppable force in human development? Will it provide for all of our needs? How can a scientist believe in God? Are Christians committing the God of the gaps fallacy when we say that the universe and certain designs in the universe point to a being like God? Is Christianity at odds with science or is atheism at odds with science? Is it irrational to believe in miracles and the supernatural? Well, my favorite person in the world to answer those questions is my guest today. It's the great Dr. John Lennox. We've had Dr. Lennox on this program several times before, but not recently. I think the last time we had Dr. Lennox on was 2015. What an oversight on our part. And uh, as you know, Dr. Lennox teaches at Oxford University. Yes, that Oxford out there in the UK. He's written several outstanding books, including God's Undertaker, Gunning for God, Seven Days to Divide the World, a new book on the Calvary. Calvinistic free will issue called Determined to Believe, and several others. He's debated Richard Dawkins several times. And when you watch those debates, you really see that if every Christian had the smarts and wisdom demeanor of Dr. Lennox, uh, the world would be Christianized in short order. He is, I think, my favorite living apologist right now. So it's great having Dr. Lennox on. And we're going to talk about his new book, Can Science Explain Everything? John, it's a pleasure to have you on again. How are you? It's a pleasure to be with you again. Yes, thank you. I'm doing well, commensurate with my ancient age. <laughs> well, actually, your your age is making you better, sir, because you are putting out more material than ever before. I mean, you've got all these books. You've got about six new books with David Gooden. You have a new book on evangelism. You have this science book. The I guess you were predestined to write, determined to believe. I mean, what is going on? Are you taking some sort of uh, super vitamins out there? No, it's a very simple explanation. The medics told me to slow down with travel. Ah. So I sit here at home. I sit here at home and I write books. And I've enjoyed that very much. Well, I know you are coming to the United States next month for the Sing Conference in Nashville. You'll be there with your niece, Kristen Getty, and her husband, Keith. And I, apparently that conference is quite a conference. Have you been to it before? No, I haven't. But I've heard that there's something around 10,000 people come to it. So it should be an interesting experience. Exactly. Check it out, friends. The Sing Conference, S-I-N-G. It's next month in Nashville. Now, John, this new book, Can Science Explain Everything? I know you've spoken about this in previous books. Why did you write this book? Because my original book of this topic, which is God's Undertaker, Has Science Buried God, proved to be too long, a little bit inaccessible. And many people came to me and said, can you not produce a book that's shorter, that's more directly accessible without compromising intellectual rigor? And mm. I tried several times to do that. But with the encouragement of a very good publisher, I managed to get this together, and I'm extremely encouraged by the response to it from all around the world. 
So it's short, it's accessible. I tell more stories in it. And from reactions, I find that people are using it. And that's the thing that gratifies me most of all. They are. And it is a very short book, just over 100 pages. Can Science Explain Everything? There are about 10 chapters in it. We're going to go through some of the contents of it here today. Well, you're listening to Cross-Examine, and my guest is a Dr. John Lennox, all the way from Oxford, England. Now, John, the title of the book, Can Science Explain Everything? Why don't we just define our terms right off the bat? What does science mean in that context? When you say, can science explain everything, what do you mean by science? Well, by science... In the English-speaking world, we mean the natural sciences, physics, chemistry, biology, and so on. The word, of course, science, comes from the Latin scary, which simply means to know. Mm -hmm. And in other linguistics groups like German, for example, the word Wissenschaft means both the humanities and the natural sciences. But we're, we're talking here of the sciences in the sense of the natural sciences, where there are quite a few voices in the world claiming in the name of physics or biology or psychology that their sciences are totally incompatible with belief in God. So that's what we're dealing with, the kind of stuff that we begin to learn in school and then in college, dealing with the natural world and trying to understand it. Well, I think one of the biggest mis misconceptions I see that people have about this, Dr. Lennox, is that they think that our growing ability through science to harness the forces of nature and improve our lives means that there is no one responsible for creating and sustaining the forces of nature and the universe itself. Now, you have a great illustration in this book, Can Science Explain Everything? And it shows why that kind of thinking is a big mistake. It, it, the illustration you give shows the difference between the two types of science. One type of science investigates how nature operates, and the other type of science investigates how nature originated. So can you please give this Henry Ford illustration that you give quite frequently on this topic? Yes, well, it, much of the problem, I think, in this area, Frank, is simply that people don't realize that there are different kinds of explanation. And mm. so when someone comes along and says, well, I have a scientific explanation of this, the attitude is that's all the explanation you need. And the simple illustration before we get to Henry Ford is that if you think of the phenomenon of boiling water. And we ask the question, let's investigate this. Why is the water boiling? And very rapidly, you see it's boiling because heat from a gas flame, say, is heating a saucepan with water in it, and it's agitating the molecules of water, and therefore it's boiling. But I could equally ask that question again and give it a very different answer. The water is boiling because I want a cup of tea. Mm -hmm. Now, those two answers, they don't conflict with each other, nor do they compete with each other. They complement each other. But they're different kinds of answer. The first answer is the answer of the natural sciences. The second answer is in terms of an agent's desire. I want a cup of tea. And the interesting thing is that you need both explanations to have a complete understanding. 
And what always has amused me a little bit is that people have been enjoying tea for centuries, long before they knew anything about the physics of heat. And putting that all together, I say, look, and here comes the Henry Ford illustration. Science no more competes with God as an explanation for the universe than Henry Ford competes with physics and the laws of internal combustion as an explanation for the motor car. And the point is, and you picked that up in the way you introduced me at this point, and that is that Henry Ford is the explanation how the motor car originated, how it came to be. He's not the explanation of how it works. For that, you need physics and so on. But in order to understand it completely or more completely, you need both. So God is not the same kind of explanation as science is, just as Henry Ford is not the same kind of explanation as the law of internal combustion and automobile engineering. Ladies and gentlemen, you can see why I think Dr. Lennox is one of the best in the world at explaining these things, because he has these real-world illustrations that communicate the point very clearly. Now, when we come back from the break, I want to ask Dr. Lennox a question about the biggest objection that I think atheists have, and that is they charge people who say that God had something to do with the universe or something in the universe. They charge us with something called the God of the gaps fallacy. Are we just throwing up our hands when we can't find a natural cause and say God did it. I'm going to have Dr. John Lennox. I'm going to ask him that question right after the break. Don't go away. You're listening to Cross-Examined with Frank Turk on the American Family Radio Network. Our website is crossexamined.org. Cross-Examined with a D on the end of it. We're back in two minutes with Dr. John Lennox. Thank you for listening to the Cross-Examined podcast. This material is made available to you for free by the contributions of listeners like you. If you wish to support future podcasts, just go to crossexamine.org and click on the donate button or simply use the donate feature directly on our app. Thanks. Can science explain everything? That's the question we're dealing with today from my friend, Dr. John Lennox, Oxford professor, Wonderful man, wonderful apologist. Uh, it's hard not to like Dr. Lennox. If you go to YouTube and just type his name in, you'll see a video after video. Many of them are Veritas forums from college campuses around the world. Some of them are debates. You'll see Dr. Lennox debating people like Richard Dawkins and Peter Atkins and Christopher Hitchens and, and several others. Peter Singer, I think, is another one uh, that uh, Dr. Lennox has debated. And uh, you can go to his website, johnlennox.org. John Lennox, all one word, L. L-E-N-N-O-X dot org. And uh, you can see where Dr. Lennox is going to be. You can see his books, see some of his articles. And uh, before the break, we were talking about this God of the gaps fallacy. Now, Dr. Lennox, one of the biggest objections I think that atheists have is that they charge Christians with committing this God of the gaps fallacy. You know, they think we're saying, well, we just can't figure out a natural cause. So I'm going to say that God did it. How are you not committing this fallacy? I think the first thing here to say is that this idea comes really from the gods of the ancient world, the Greek gods and so on. And let me put it in this kind of context. I was puzzled when I read that the late Stephen Hawking, brilliant physicist, was really asking 
people to choose between science and God. And I couldn't understand that for a long time until I realized that he and I didn't mean the same thing when we talked about God. And what he meant was a kind of God like the Greek God of lightning uh, that people invented because they didn't understand lightning. And of course, that God disappears the moment you go to any respectable university and study atmospheric physics. That's a God of the gaps. And it's so important to realize that the God presented in the Bible is not a God of the gaps. He's a God of the whole show. That mm -hmm. is, he's the God of the bits of the universe we do understand and the bits of the universe we don't understand. I sometimes amuse people by saying, I hope you realize that the Bible does not begin with the words, in the beginning God created the bits of the universe we don't yet understand. <laughs> now, the importance of that is this. Let's take Isaac Newton, one of the most brilliant people in the history of science. And he and Stephen Hawking had the same chair at Cambridge, the Lucasian chair. Now, when Newton discovered his law of gravitation, he wrote a brilliant book, the Principia Mathematica, in which he explained what he discovered and the marvels of the way in which the planets moved in ellipses around the sun and so on. And in the foreword of the book, he expressed the hope that what he'd written would help a thinking person to believe in a deity. You see, the more Newton discovered of how it worked, the more he admired the brilliance of the God who had done it like that. He didn't say, oh, I've got the law of gravitation. I don't need God. He said, no, the law of gravitation gives me such a brilliant insight into the workings of the universe that the only sensible thing to do is to attribute it to a divine mind. And that's true in life, isn't it? Because mm. the more we understand of something, say of art, the more we can admire the genius of a Rembrandt, the more we understand of engineering, the more we can admire the genius of the people that designed the space shuttle. So it's very important to realize that the God that the Bible communicates to us is the God of the whole show. And it's the bits we do understand that reveal to us his glory, not so much the bits we don't understand. You know, you have quoted many scientists in this new book. And again, friends, the new book by Dr. John Lennox is called Can Science Explain Everything? Um, you quote uh, Francis Bacon, I believe. You quote Kepler. And you also quote C.S. Lewis in, in pointing out that the founders of modern science were Christians. And here's the quote that you quote from Lewis. Men became scientific because they expected law in nature. And they expected law in nature because they believed in a, a legislator. Now, here's my question, Dr. Lennox. Why do the laws of nature exist and why can the universe be described in the language of your discipline, mathematics? Well, the fact is, to answer the question why, we would have to talk, I think, about something like the idea that mathematics is partly at least discovery or invention of the human mind. It's a rational discipline. And people, scholars, have wondered, how does it work? It seems an absolute miracle that mathematics that's thought up in somebody's head can 
explain, can describe what the universe is doing out there. But that makes perfect sense if the universe was created by an intelligent God who was also responsible for creating the human mind. And this quotation from C.S. Lewis that you've just mentioned is very important because it's very easy in the hubris of contemporary atheism to forget that the fruits of science, which we all enjoy in terms of technology, comes from the explosion of scientific thinking in the 16th and 17th centuries, which arguably, as Lewis points out, was driven by faith in God. In other words, if I believe that there's an intelligence behind the universe, then it makes the universe worthy of study. Hmm. And that's the motivation that seems to be virtually agreed by all historians of science that lies behind. So let me put it this way. Far from Newton and Kepler and Clark Maxwell's belief in God hindering their science, it was actually the motor that drove it. And I think it's very important to remind the contemporary generation of that fact. Is it illicit to say, Dr. Lennox, that since we know that all human laws have a lawgiver, is it illicit to apply that to the laws of nature and say, well, the laws of nature must have a lawgiver as well? Well, it's a reasonable influence, but inference, but I, I think we need to just separate a couple of ideas here mm -hmm. because human laws tend to be in the area of ethics and legislation. The laws of nature are not those kind of laws. They are descriptions of what regularly happens. Uh, it's important to realize that. They're not constraints in that sense. They're just telling us what normally happens provided something doesn't come in between to change that. And so the laws of science, for example, the gravitational law is telling us what happens when you've got two massive bodies and they interact with one another, what normally happens. But it doesn't stop God doing something special. And of course, that relates to the question you just hinted at at the very beginning, the question of miracles and the supernatural, which we can come to later. Mm -hmm. But they're not like the laws of a land where you get fined or punished for uh, disobeying them, for example. Of course. But are they, is it fair to say that if the laws of nature are so consistent and precise, we might better put it the forces of nature, the four known forces, gravity, electromagnetism, and the strong and weak nuclear forces. Why do those, why do those forces actually exist? And why are they so precise and consistent? To me, they seem to be the product of a mind. It's certainly not a product of randomness. We wouldn't even know. Oh, I think, yes, that's, that's, the, that's the natural inference. And mm -hmm. when you when you make that even more specific, because one of the staggering discoveries in the natural sciences in the last few decades has been the vastly impressive fine-tuning of some of the basic constants and forces of nature. So that now the view is that this Earth is a very special place. And it's a phenomenon that's agreed upon by virtually all natural scientists, which is very interesting, whether they're atheists or not. Hawking believes in it, 
He wrote a book on it called The Grand Design. Mm. And he's so impressed with this fine tuning, as are other leading figures, that he says this demands an explanation. And, of course, they tend to say, well, either there is a God or there is a multiverse, which is another topic that <laughs> uh, we could chat about. But the point is that they see something that demands explanation because the initial intuitive reaction to it is the, I'm going to quote Paul Davis now, who's not mm -hmm. a theist, but is right. a, a very readable scientist and physicist. Paul says the impression of design is overwhelming. Yes, and uh, he was the one that actually had that article in the New York Times back in 2006 where he said, t I think the title of it was Taking Science on Faith. And his point was, is that scientists just assume the laws of nature and with no explanation. And he said that his inbox, his email inbox, Dr. Lennox, was filled with vitriol because they were saying, stop asking questions like this. Where do the laws of nature come from? Nobody knows. They're just there. <laughs> so Exactly. That, that, that's all right. But it was he who also pointed out that this brute fact explanation, it's just there is not very satisfying to a scientist that asks for the origin of everything else. Why should we stop with That's the laws right. of nature when there's a wonderfully obvious intuitive explanation that makes sense? Mm -hmm. And you see, here's another answer to my mind to the God of the gaps. Introducing God as an ultimate explanation for the laws of nature is not being foolish. It's not introducing um, something silly. It's like saying, and I'm going to quote what you said earlier, that when we find a, a society governed by laws, there are different kinds of laws, we tend to immediately assume that this society, somebody has written these laws. They're the product of a mind. And when you find very precise regularities in physics, then the natural thing to say is, yes, and these two have even more so, um, they bear the evidence, the signature of having been created by a mind. Now, I know you've debated both these gentlemen. You've debated Richard Dawkins and Lawrence Krauss. And yeah. it's interesting <laughs> it, It's interesting that not long ago, maybe four or five years ago, they both admitted that one could make a good case for a deist, deistic designer precisely because of this. Now, when we come back from the break, we'll, we'll unpack that a little bit further. But the atheists are admitting, the prominent atheists like Krauss and Dawkins are admitting that due to what Dr. Lennox just said, one could make a case that there's at least a deistic God out there, a God that created the universe at least and created the natural laws. Well, why not take the next step toward theism? Deism is a lot closer to theism than it is to atheism. Anyway, I'm... I'm going a little too long here. My guest is Dr. John Lennox. I'm Frank Turek. We're back in just two minutes with a lot more. Don't go away. Can science explain everything? My guest is Dr. John Lennox. His book is Can Science Explain Everything? And we've got a lot more to cover. Now, it's quite obvious for those of you who have listened to this program before, when somebody says all truth comes from science, 
you're going to turn the claim on itself and say, does that truth come from science? Obviously, science can't explain everything. It can't even explain itself. And this book, Can Science Explain Everything, is a good short book you can give to anybody. Anybody can follow it. It's only a little over 100 pages. It's written by my friend, Dr. John Lennox from Oxford University. And just before the break, Dr. Lennox, we were talking about the fact that that uh, Krauss and Dawkins have admitted that one could make a reasonable case for a deistic God. Not that they would agree with that, but one could make a reasonable case for a deistic God. Why do you think they won't take the next step toward theism? That's very difficult to say. And I'm glad you said the last bit, that they don't agree with it, because mm-hmm. <laughs> um, I was misunderstood in one of my statements, and Richard Dawkins thought uh, he was that I thought he was being converted to deism. But the point was, he'd said that a reasonable case could be made for it, although he Mm -hmm. didn't himself accept it. Mm. I find difficult that you can make a reasonable case for deism without really considering the biggest, the bigger case, because deism simply means that there is a mind, there is a God behind the universe, and but God is not really involved in it. It's, I can't second guess why people don't go any, any further, Frank. It's, it's, it's difficult for me to say. All I try to do, of course, is to say that, look, the evidence, if you look at science, let's say we can make a very good case for deism. The arguments for the truth of Christianity in particular of course, depend on more than evidence from the sciences, mm-hmm. because Christianity is God-specific, so to speak. It talks about a revelation of God in history, and therefore we have to bring the disciplines of history and experience in to consider it. But deism, as you say, is a good step. You know, it's interesting. I remember you had a debate with uh with Lawrence Krauss on Justin Brierley's show, I believe it was unbelievable. The podcast over there in UK, it's a kind of a debate show for those of you who don't know about yeah, it. You ought, yeah, to listen. Sure. You, you ought to listen to that. Dr. Lennox has been on several times. In fact, you were on recently, I think with, uh, with, um, uh, Oh gee, why is his name escaping me now? I can see him. Um, the, the, the chemist, um, uh, Peter Atkins. Yeah. Oh, Peter Atkins. Yes. That's yes. Right. Yeah. But when you were on with Krauss toward the end of the debate, Dr. Lennox, I don't know if you remember this, but uh, it's been a while. And I don't know if it made it, it impact on you like it did me. When Lawrence Krauss said, we celebrate that there is no God. He said that. I, I don't and, remember it. And, and he calls himself an anti-theist, which means he's not neutral on this. He's against God. Well, that's no. absolutely right. Yeah, well, why would he? he said, I don't remember that, but it reminds me, I think it was Aldous Huxley. It was one of the Huxleys mm-hmm. that talked about the great joy that entered his mind when he came to see that there was no God. His mm. reason was because it let him behave as he liked it. That exactly. His personal lifestyle. And, you know, People can have various reasons, including moral reasons, to celebrate these things. But it is an odd statement for a scientist to make in a world where, you know, the atheists aren't alone. There are many people who are not only convinced that God exists, but are Christians. That's right. 
Mm -hmm. Yes. And you point out in the in the book. And again, the book is called Can Science Explain Everything by Dr. John Lennox. He's my guest today. Uh, yes, I think morality is is the elephant in the room in many cases is they don't want there to be a God because God's going to get in the way of what they want to do. And a lot of people, you know, they're not on a truth quest or on a happiness quest, and they think God is going to clamp down on their happiness somehow. So they don't want that to uh, interfere. But that's a whole nother topic. Let me ask you this question, uh, Dr. Lennox, that I find so uh, insightful in your book. Uh, You talk about the limits of science, and you have a wonderful illustration about Aunt Matilda's cake. Can you explain that to our audience? I can indeed. I imagine a lady, let's call her up, Matilda, she's baked a cake and she's surrounded by the world's top scientists, Nobel Prize winners, <laughs> and I'm the MC, and I invite them to analyse the cake. So we imagine we've got these brilliant analyses by chemists, by physicists, by biochemists, and all sorts of different people. And they give us their findings, and we know all about the cake. And then finally, I say, now, just before you go, let me ask you, scientists, why the cake was made. And that Tilda's sitting there, and she starts to smile, because, of course, she knows the answer, or she made the cake. But you see, it's pretty obvious that even the best scientists in the world will not be able to tell from their science why she made it. Indeed, they will never know why she made it unless she reveals that to them. Now, I find that it's a very simple illustration. But when we ask the big why question of purpose of the universe, I think there's a real sense in which we can never get at the answer unless it's revealed to us. Now, Aunt Matilda's revelation, when she tells us why she made it, we use our reason to study that. And that's a point I make about the Bible. It claims to be God's revelation. But God doesn't ask us to switch off our reason. On the contrary, we are encouraged to use our reason to see if this very new dimension of information, that is revelation, makes sense of the world as we find it. And so I find as a scientist, I've got two inputs. I've got the input from the natural world, which I can look at as a scientist. Then I've got the input from the Word of God, God's other book, as Bacon said. And I can see if there's compatibility, if it makes sense, and so on. And in the basic thing that you raised earlier, is there a mind behind it? Then it seems to me that the sciences point in exactly the same direction as the Bible points. In fact, you also point out, in fact, you pointed this out in your debate with Richard Dawkins and friends. If you haven't seen those debates, you really need to see those debates. Uh, Go to YouTube or uh, uh, I think it's on YouTube and just type in John Lennox versus Richard Dawkins. Great interaction, not not dueling speeches, but these two gentlemen had a conversation a couple of times and it's well worth seeing. In any event, you said... Uh, And and in the book, the book, again, is called Can Science Explain Everything? Dr. Lennox, you said uh, that our very ability to reason gives evidence of a supernatural dimension. Why is that so? And why can't atheism explain our ability to reason and do science? 
Now, this is an absolutely fascinating thing that some atheists are beginning to pick up, but it goes back to C.S. Lewis and, and people like that. And the, the basic argument is simple. Let me put it this way. I often chat to my scientific colleagues, and I said, what do you do science with? And they say, well, I do it with my mind, or they prefer often to say my brain, because they don't believe that there is a mind separate from the brain. Well, let's leave that aside. And I say, okay, you do science with your brain. Tell me about the brain. What's the brief history of the brain? They say, well, in the end, the brain is the end product of a mindless, unguided process. And I look at them and I say, and you trust it. <laughs> tell me, tell me, I said, let's be honest about this. If you knew that the computer that you use every day in your science, if you knew it was the end product of an unguided process, would you trust it? And here's the interesting thing. I always force them to give me an answer, and it's always been no. So I said, you've got a problem then, because you're trusting your brain or your mind, and you're telling me that you wouldn't trust a computer if it was produced by the same kind of process. And I think that's a very interesting thing. Thomas Nagel, who's a brilliant American philosopher in New York, he has seen this problem that at the heart of naturalistic philosophy, which is reducing everything to physics and chemistry, there's there seems to be a flaw because it undermines itself, mm. that it reduces uh, thought simply to the firing of synapses, and therefore that renders all thought meaningless and everything that we think meaningless, including arguments about it. And there must be a stop somewhere here. Somebody has to call, halt, just half a minute. If your argument undermines the rationality that you need to do science, there's something seriously wrong with your argument. And you have and, also, oh, sorry, go ahead, continue. No, no, I just think that is a correct intuition. And in fact, you point out the better explanation is John 1.1. Yes, that's, that's right, that in the beginning was the word. You see, what you're saying in slightly cryptic language there is that the naturalistic explanation is reductionist. Everything must be explainable exhaustively in terms of physics and chemistry and the natural sciences. So that mind, the existence of mind, and the existence, let's say, of the idea of God, because they don't believe there is a God, is produced by these natural processes governed by the laws of nature. But the biblical view is the exact opposite of that. It says that mind is primary. In the beginning was the Word. The Word was God. All things came to be through him. That is mass energy, the universe, and life in it is derivative. So what we're faced with, I think, in the debate these days is a very clear clash of worldviews, and they divide the academy. The worldview of naturalism that says, essentially, in the beginning was, well, these days it's either a quantum vacuum or even nothing, and everything derives from that. Or it is, in the beginning, God. 
created the heavens and the earth. And those two worldviews, atheism and theism, clash absolutely head on. Mm. Yeah, there's only two possibilities at the beginning, ladies and gentlemen, and that either that is either intelligence was in the beginning or there wasn't intelligence in the beginning. And it makes much more sense to believe in the beginning was the logos, the logic, the word. And that's what Dr. Lennox is saying. He's my guest today. His new book, Can Science Explain Everything You Need to Get? We've got a lot more with Dr. Lennox in our final segment, so don't go anywhere. Check out also johnlennox.org, johnlennox.org. And he'll be in Nashville, Tennessee next month, August. Check him out there as well. Back in two. If you find value in the content of this podcast, don't forget to follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, where you can find more. Just type cross-examine or Frank Turek on the search bar. Also, visit our website where we add new videos, articles, and free resources daily. If you're low on the FM dial looking for national public radio, go no further. We're actually going to tell you the truth here. That's our intent anyway. You're not going to hear this on NPR. We're talking to my friend Dr. John Lennox. His book, Can Science Explain Everything? Easy book to read, easy book to understand. As you can see already, just from our conversation thus far, Dr. Lennox knows how to put the cookies on the bottom shelf, so to speak, without losing intellectual rigor. He's kind of like C.S. Lewis. He has all these illustrations. And in fact, he actually sat under C.S. Lewis. So that's maybe why he has some of these illustrations. Uh, But in any event, uh, John, we're talking about this issue of science And um, let's talk a little bit about the Bible for a second and how it relates to science, because I think what you said earlier shows that it's not it's not Christianity that has a problem with science. It's atheism that has a problem with science, because if we're just moist robots, if that's all we are, if we're just molecular machines, as the materialists say, we can't even reason or do science. But it makes perfect sense in a theistic universe. I want to ask you this question, though. Some skeptics say that the Bible writers were ignorant of the laws of nature, and therefore they were gullible to accept miracles. How do you respond to that? Well, it's just wrong. If they read the Bible carefully, they'd see that's nonsense. That idea springs from the Scottish Enlightenment philosopher David Hume. And he said that people at the time of Christ were very unskilled in understanding nature. They didn't know any of its laws so they could believe in miracles. But if you read the Gospels, you find that that is simply false. For example, the man who had been born blind that Jesus cured, he knew that something special had happened because he said since the very beginning of the world, no one who was born blind, has received their sight. He knew the norm. He knew the regularity. And to give another example of this, the story of Joseph and Mary that is at the heart of the origins of Christianity. When Joseph discovered that his fiancée, Mary, was pregnant, he knew exactly where babies came from. (laughs) And so... He, we are told he was a righteous man and he wanted to divorce her. Mm. It took an immense, very special message and messenger from God to convince him that nothing immoral had happened. That's, he knew the laws of nature. 
The next point to make on that is, of course, if you don't know the laws of nature, then you wouldn't recognize a miracle, mm -hmm. even if you saw one. You know, if you don't know that dead people normally stay dead, then you wouldn't begin to understand that the resurrection of Jesus might involve the supernatural. In other words, in order to recognize these things, you've got to have two things. One, a world in which there are recognized regularities. And secondly, a God who stands outside that world, who can feed special events in. And David Hume made mistakes in both directions, and I mentioned some of them in my book. The sad thing is he's responsible for this naive attitude, mm. saying that New Testament people had no idea uh, and so they could believe in miracles all over the place. They were less gullible than many millions of people these days who spend their time reading horoscopes in the newspapers. <laughs> it was our friend Christopher Hitchens, whom we both had the opportunity to debate, who set that aside when he said uh, horoscopes or astrology can be disproven by simply pointing out that two people with the same birthday don't have the same future. <laughs> yes. <laughs> so, even Hitchens could see through that in any event. Um, yeah, obviously, and, and you, I want to make it clear to people listening that this book by John Lennox called Can Science Explain Everything isn't just about science. It gets into the evidence for Christianity and the resurrection and the New Testament documents. So despite its length, a short, very short book, it goes into a lot of this and you can just give it to anybody. Of course, Dr. Lennox, they wouldn't get all excited about a resurrection if people typically rose from the dead anyway. So they must have known no, that people don't, <laughs> they must have known that people don't rise from the dead every day. So it, this was a big deal to see Jesus rise from the dead. Um, I want to ask you this, too. Uh, you had a situation as a young man where you were pressured by a group of professors to give up God. Can you tell us that story? Well, what happened was this, and it, it, it was a seminal experience for me. I was sitting at dinner in my college and found myself beside a Nobel Prize winner. And I'd never met one before. So I tried to chat and talk and so on and made the mistake from one perspective of mentioning questions of creation and so on. And it was quite obvious he didn't want to discuss that. So I left it and thought that was the end of the story. But at the end of the meal, he said to me, Lennox, come to my room. And it sounded like a command rather than an invitation. So I went to his room. And he invited several other senior people, no students, three or four of them. And as I recall it, because it's a very long time ago, he sat me on a chair and they stood around me and he said, do you want a career in science? I said, yes, sir. Well, he said, if you do, you need to give up this naive belief in God because it will cripple you. Intellectually, you will never survive, you will suffer in comparison with your peers and all this kind of stuff. Well, I'd never known pressure like it. And afterwards, I can recall thinking that if I'd been an atheist and he'd been a Christian and tried mm. to brainwash me into Christianity, he'd probably lost his post the next day. Mm. But in any case, I summoned up enough courage to say to him, look, what can you offer me that is better than what I've already got? And he came out with some philosophy, philosophy actually of Emile Bergson. And because I'm a Lewis fan, I knew what the philosophy was. And I said, if that's all you've got to offer me, well, then 
I'm going to take the risk and stay with what I've got. And I left the room. Mm. But that put steel into my heart. And I resolved that if ever I got the chance to be in an academic position, that the last thing I would do would be to browbeat people, but rather share with them the evidence as I found it and respect their intellectual and moral integrity so that they could make up their own minds. And mm -hmm. one of my big focuses in this book, Frank, is this. You're right, it doesn't only talk about science, because what I want to get across is we understand or we think that science is a rational discipline. I want to get across that not only is faith in God a rational thing, but actually the Christian message is rational. There is there are too many people in the world that tend to think that rationality and science are coextensive. That's sheer nonsense. Otherwise, half the faculties in any respectable university would have to close tomorrow. History mm. is a rational discipline. So is mm. theology and all the rest of them. And I want to get across the very fact that Christianity, even at the level of experience, can be tested in exactly the same way as many scientific theories are testable. So that it's a rounded kind of book that I hope will answer all kinds of questions that arise in thinking people's minds. And it does. The book is called Can Science Explain Everything? Dr. Lennox, we've got about two minutes, three minutes left. I want to take these final three minutes to ask you this question, and maybe you could wrap it up this way. You know, people today... They're searching for identity and acceptance. And all the other world religions teach that you achieve your identity and acceptance. But of course, Christianity says you don't achieve them, you receive them. And John, you have a wonderful way of explaining how our identity and acceptance comes from God through grace immediately. And you use an illustration that involves marriage and a cookbook. Can you go into that to end us today with well, two minutes to go? The, the that illustration is that imagine I see a nice girl and I'd like to marry her and I give her a cookbook and I say, look at these laws for making apple cake. Now, if you keep these laws for 40 years, then I'll think of accepting you. Well, <laughs> she'd throw the book at me if that was the case. But many people think of God like that. If we try and keep his laws for 30 or 40 years, maybe he will accept us. And that leads into the slavery of religion. And if that is religion, then Christianity isn't a religion. You see, in marriage, the fact that she accepted me at the beginning unconditionally, that's the secret of a married life that is successful and fulfilling. And the wonderful thing, and I often say to people, Jesus doesn't compete with anybody else because he offers us something none of them do. That is, he offers us forgiveness and peace with God that can be received now as a gift if we repent and trust him. This is a huge thing and would lift the burden of millions of people's hearts and lives if only they realized that Christianity is not a religion that you have to desperately follow in the hope that one day God may be, but maybe not, will actually accept you. The acceptance comes the moment we trust Christ because it's what he has done and not what we have done that's the basis of that acceptance. I just love that illustration, John, because I think that communicates so well. And I know you've given that on college campuses many times, and people normally laugh when you talk about the cookbook and all that. But yes, people but they get it. 
They do. Yeah, they think that's the way the world works, that I, I got to do all this stuff to get accepted. But in Christianity, you don't achieve your acceptance, ladies and gentlemen. You receive it. That's what yes. John 1, 12 says, that he's given us the right to become children of God by receiving what he's done, not achieving it. So if you're struggling with your identity and acceptance, you can get it right now by accepting what Christ has done. Now, John, again, a wonderful book. Can Science Explain Everything? And I know you're coming to the United States in August to Nashville and possibly to California in October. But people are going to have to keep their eye on your calendar for that because we don't have the details just yet. Correct. That's right. Thank you so much, John, for being on the show again. And we're going to have to My do this pleasure. again. Thank you very much for a very enjoyable interview. Well, John, you you know how to how to make things easy for people to understand. And it's with great intellectual rigor as well. So thank you so much. That's Dr. John Lennox, johnlennox.org. Check out his website. And next week, man, we're batting a thousand. We're going to have Robbie Zacharias on to talk about his new book, The Logic of God. There's two books you need to get right now. Can Science Explain Everything and The Logic of God? All right, friends, I'll be with you hopefully again next week, Lord willing. God bless. See you next time. We hope you got a lot of value out of this episode. If you think our podcast needs to reach more people, here's what you can do to help. Go to iTunes and type cross-examined official podcast, four words in the search bar, and leave us a five-star rating. It'll take you less than five seconds. And if you have a few more seconds to spare, leave us a positive review. The best reviews will be featured on future episodes. You can also listen on Spotify, Stitcher, and Google Play. God bless. God bless.